Welcome to the show today, Brian. How are you doing? Doing well, Dan. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on today. You've got a, a real interesting story, a lot of lessons that I think our listeners and, and viewers can learn from. And you know, you, you've done a lot in real estate investing. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, why don't I just let you give people a little bit about your background so we can jump into this, uh, this half hour or so we've got together. Yeah, I, uh, from Detroit originally, um, you know, grew up blue collar. Uh, my dad was a firefighter. Mom was a cashier at a grocery store for 25 years. So I actually had my first go at entrepreneurship in the streets. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, bumped my head when I was a teenager, late into my teenage years and, um, you know, found myself in trouble and kicked out the house and on my way to college and flunked out of there my first semester, you know, wasn't focused. And uh, all the while, you know, had a, a, a daughter on the way all by the time that I turned 18. And fortunately, you know, during that, those trials, um, found my way back into the church, found Christ, got recentered, and some things started to change in my life. And so got rematriculated back into college. And that's when I found real estate and uh, buddy of mine was flipping houses. Uh, this was in 2006. Uh, stated income loans at all all time high which was, you know, kind of the catalyst for the market contraction in 2008. And uh, he was flipping houses, so the buyers would qualify on paper, but not financially. So I would leverage my refund checks in college and cover their down payment to purchase the home from him. And then he would give me a return on my investment. So I literally got started from a $7,000 refund check. Wow. And, you know, from there, I'm, you know, I'm like, well, if they're buying houses with no job, I can do the same thing. I got the credit qualifications. Uh, so I started buying rental property while I was in college, 2006 and seven, and then built a new construction home for, for my family to move into when we left college. And unbeknownst to me, all of that was happening at the height of the market. You know, I was opportunistic, but not educated at the time. And so, uh, as the market contracted, you know, so was I exposed like everyone else, um, you know, lost a lot of my equity and my positions. Uh, but fortunately, because I built up liquidity 2008 to 10, while the market was compressed, I bought over 20 rental properties. I was like 24, 25 at the time. Um, it was fortunate to buy those, you know, free and clear at the bottom of the market. So just a lot of, you know, sheer will, uh, you know, a lot of faith, a lot of favor and um, just being opportunistic, I would say, you know, action brings clarity. Most people fail because they just stuck in their mind. And the more the more action that you can take, the more clarity that it'll bring. How did how did you? Was it was it was a friend you said when you were in college that yeah. introduced you to real estate? Because most people go to college and you know they learn how to get a job. <laughs> they don't exactly. It's, it's, exactly. Not, it's, it's rare that someone goes there and like stumbles upon real estate. It's almost like like everyone who's good at it almost gets into it by accident somehow. <laughs> That is true. That is true. My my buddy, he was probably 18, 20 years my senior. I knew him through a childhood friend. And um, we were just sitting around chewing on the fat talking one day. And he was telling me about what he did. And I was intrigued. So, you know, I was kind of living this double life of going to college to learn how to get a job. But then at the same time, um, you know, tapping into my entrepreneurial spirit and being able to to make some plays while I was there. How did, how did you not get caught up 
in the crash or maybe I should say like completely taken out because it sounds like you were doing some aggressive stuff like a lot of flips, new construction, stated income loans, uh, but, but somehow you managed to have the liquidity and maybe the cash flow from the rental units to, to make it through. Like, like what was it like back then? And how, how did you get through it? Yeah, so everything I had leverage on, I was upside down. So all the rentals that I bought with loans, um, you know, I was upside down. I had negative equity on all of those negative rents, even in some cases. Uh, and even my primary residence, I was upside down by 40% when the market contracted. But because of my lending efforts, I was liquid from those transactions that I was doing when I got started. So I was able to use leverage to purchase my primary and three other rental properties. But then when the market contracted, I was still cash savvy that I was able to to buy a bunch of properties down at the bottom of the market. So you just you just had enough cash on the sideline that, you know, in other words, you weren't like fully deployed like a lot of people can kind of just easily get to. Right. Like, um, correct. Correct. Yeah. Because, I mean, quite honestly, I didn't see in 2006 and seven to me, there was no reason to use cash. Right. Like we were getting, you know, almost 100 percent finance stated income loans. It, it made no sense to deploy cash at that time. You know, so I was just kind of stockpiling cash, not for any particular reason other than it just didn't make sense for me to use it to buy a property because I could just sign my name and get property. Right. And so you had enough cash on the sideline to go out and buy good deals and, to, you know, maybe rents came down and they didn't cover the mortgage. You were able to cover the extra four or 500 bucks. I don't know what it was per door, you know, that, that, that you were under, under water or negative rent on. Yeah. The good, well, actually I didn't throw, I didn't waste a lot of time throwing good money after bad. Once the, once the deal started to go South, um, I just, I quickly started working on getting up, getting, getting up under toxic paper. Mm. So, you know, and again, I'm saying all of this in retrospect and it sounds savvy i just so happened to be blessed that a lot of different people came into my life at the right times and so i met a guy in 2007 who like knew about short sales and uh it was one of those situations where they were taking eight to ten months back then they weren't popular at all you had to really know someone that was um you know you you had to really know someone that was in the business that could pull something like that off. And so once things started to go sour, he started working on, you know, some of those mechanisms for me, deed in lieu of foreclosure, um, short sale. So I was, you know, not by my own doing, I was, I was in, I was in good position even for the exit with the toxic paper as well. Do you think, do you think we're now, you know, 2022, do you think we're heading back to the, that time where there's going to be a wave of foreclosures or a lot of people underwater. There's certainly, you know, from some investors, real estate agents, that fear is out there, whether it's justified or not, or if maybe it's based in reality, maybe it's based on just a memory of 2008. Uh, Do you think, do you think another wave is coming of foreclosures? It it absolutely is. Um, We missed our market cycle. That should have happened right around the time COVID did. And, and, and rates were already climbing at the end of 2019, going into 2020. The market was slowing down tremendously. And then all of a sudden, COVID happens. And we've been living in this fictitious economy, just 
printing the fiat dollar for some time now and making things seemingly better than what they really are. Um, so we're still due for a market cycle. And, you know, while it won't be Armageddon as it was back in 2008, uh, I, I, I think we're going to see some significant drops in a lot of markets. You know, I, I think, you know, nationwide there's going to be a correction, but then I think some markets are going to be drastically affected. Um, those that appreciated too aggressively, um, I, I think they're going to come down significantly in a lot of those micro markets. So are you are you stockpiling cash now? Or are you still buying deals or, or is it kind of deal type or area specific? Like what's what's your strategy right now? Yeah. Yeah. Our, our strategy right now has been buying commercial multifamily. Uh, we've been in, you know, D plus C minus areas. And, you know, our strategy has been to provide good, affordable housing um, for people that, you know, are financially challenged. And then we've been backing ourselves by subsidized Section 8 because, you know, if everybody was paying attention during uh, the height of COVID, right, when rent moratoriums and such set in, it was the people in A class, B class assets uh, that really got hosed, those that had C and D properties that were backed by subsidizing Section 8, the government kept paying. They never missed a beat in terms of collecting rent. So just been trying to appease both sides of it, right? Um, doing the right thing by, by less fortunate people um, and then protecting ourselves on the investment side as well and getting some really good equity positions. Well, I, th I think the other thing you have going for you with that strategy is, uh, or, or, or that game plan is you know you're you're buying stuff where if a recession happens like people people still need workforce housing right they they still need affordable Absolutely. housing where Absolutely. you know and, and there's not much else for them to kind of move down to whereas if you're if you're in those luxury places well those guys can always move down and now you've got more vacancies in in the nicer places so um, that's true that's true yeah, I've I've seen a lot of multifamily people, you know, kind of deploying that strategy or um, using that logic. So you got a lot of good, I think, uh, things that, you know out there. Government support for it, more subsidies. Mm -hmm. You know, more people can move down to it. Um, are there certain areas or places that you're looking in, or and and conversely, certain areas that you're avoiding? Yeah, so I live in Orlando. Um, Orlando is great for a lot of different things. Uh, ROI, in my opinion, is not necessarily one of them. You know, you got to have a lot of cash out there to make it make sense. Uh, so although I live here, I think the Airbnb model is really attractive here. Uh, you know, whereas like my long-term rentals, um, you know, I'm looking more in the Midwest. Uh, I do a ton in Detroit. There's a lot of opportunity in Ohio, uh, Milwaukee, even um, just great equity positions in the Midwest. And I would say even on the East Coast, as far as like the Carolinas, even um, some great, great opportunity out there as well. And, you know, just in terms of what markets stand out of. So we have a international mentorship program. We've got students in several countries as well as all throughout the states. Most of our students that are in New York, Cali, Miami, they invest elsewhere. Um, you know, our foundation is to teach them how to set up their infrastructure and invest remotely. 
became a de default strategy for me the last 11 years. And so um, just being able to pivot and go into markets that give you the right looks as opposed to being relegated to having to invest in, in your market where, you know, maybe looks aren't as favorable. So the, the long-term rent sounds like you're in, you know, class C, class D in places where median home prices, you know, maybe aren't that high compared to the rest of the country. But then you have this other strategy, short-term rental uh, in Orlando, which is higher, higher prices than most of the country. Um, mm -hmm. What type of places are you buying in that area? And, and what's your what's your overall like Airbnb short term rental strategy there? Yeah, I'm I'm just getting into the Airbnb side uh, right now. I've got one I'm picking up this week. Um, it's going to be our it's going to be well, I, I guess it's arbitrage. The, the guy is actually he just finished the flip. He's going to lease it to me. And then he knows what we're doing, though. We, we told him, you know, exactly what our strategy is. He was comfortable with it. Uh, and so, you know, I guess essentially it's arbitrage and, you know, we're looking for, you know, corporate folks or, uh, uh, traveling nurses. And then, you know, we're still going to put it on the Airbnb sites as well. But you're looking I, for a little I, bit I, of a longer stay because, because corporate and traveling nurses, I'm guessing you're looking more for like the month long stay than the, the weekly stay. Yeah. Yeah. For me that, you know everybody's appetite is different for me. I still like to have a little bit more of a, a, a runway, you know, and, and having a month or two secured at a time versus, you know, just plugging away from day to day. That's not exciting right. to me, but it may be to some, um, but that's the beautiful part about short-term rentals. The more that I dig into it, it's just so much parity in, in how you can approach it. Um, and it just took me a long time to get into it. You know, I'm, I'm just old school, you know what I'm saying? In, in that regard, in terms of how I started and when I started. Uh, but one of my students, he he recently uh, started his short-term rental business. And so it's kind of a turnkey operation. They do everything for you. Um, and so, you know, I told him I'll take a flyer on him. Yeah, I think, I think the short-term rental business is fascinating right now, as, as well as the Orlando area, as you have so much international travel there and hospitality and you know all the different theme parks of course and you know that whole area i think within a year it's going to be connected by by train all the way to miami and yeah you're, it is you're, you're kind of seeing this phenomena where the outskirts of orlando keep getting pricier and pricier almost as if tampa and orlando are gonna like in 10 years or so you know become one giant connected market for sure. For sure. It's seemingly going that way. No doubt about it. I've been here for 11 years now and just to see the growth in Orlando, um, it's unmatched. I, I haven't been anywhere in the nation that I've seen similar growth. How did you make the transition down to Orlando? Were you, were you still up in uh, Detroit uh, at the time? Yeah, I was, I, um, you know, it was a situation where I was doing well in real estate when the market was uh, compressed, but the 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 state itself was um, it was it was a sad it was a sad place to be. So we found ourselves traveling to Florida just to kind of break up the monotony of of living there a few times out the year. And you know, our daughter was at an age where we was like, let's just move. And uh, so it, it essentially just came from 
want to live in Florida from from traveling down here so much. So as as you've uh, done that, you you obviously left, you know, homes and probably investments where you started off in uh, mm-hmm. the Detroit area. How how have you been able to build and scale and you know do deals all over? Like what is what is your team? look like now that that's able to help you do this yeah so i um p- part of the story that i hadn't gotten to was you know i did the single family rentals for eight years had no mentorship just kind of flying by the seat of my pants and then finally i found mentorship like i you know found a uh infomercial late one night back when that was happening and went to the free thing and led to the three day thing and led to the $40,000 thing. And, uh, but for me, it was a no brainer. I had hit my fundamental ceiling of achievement based on the checks that I could write and the information that I was privy to just based on my own experiences. And so it was a no brainer, whatever it cost, I was willing to pay it because I needed to finally immerse myself in an environment and get some tutelage from those that had gone before me. And so when I did that, I learned how to fix and flip wholesale in addition to how to set up my cash flow portfolio uh, in a better way because I left two million bucks on the table selling off my first portfolio in a down market. Uh, the property started to need work that I didn't plan for. And rather than be a slumlord, I just started to, to cash out those properties. And had I held them for 10 years and, you know, during this market, uh, I could have had an exit, you know, for about two million bucks. And so... Ignorance is expensive and we can't afford it. And I just encourage everybody out there at some point, go align yourself with people that have gone before you doing the things that you want to do. Pay whatever you got to pay. It's going to save you and make you money in the long run, period. So as long as you apply yourself, you know, you got the best information in the world. If you don't apply it, it's not going to go anywhere. But, you know, the sooner you can go get help. Like, I don't rack my brain trying to figure out much these days. You know, whatever I want to get into, I go find people that are smarter than me. In those particular areas, I pay them for their help. I get their systems, their processes, and then I go to work. I definitely think there are uh, there's there's not an investor like you know anywhere that's that sold the property three years ago, two years ago, ten years ago. That's like, darn, I <laughs> look what I would have got for it now, right? Like we we all kind of kind of have that, right? But you you have to look at it in the context of like, okay, I, I probably took money out or, or then I had extra time or leverage to go do something else. And what did that opportunity, you know, lead True. to? So, so I think it's kind of easy to beat ourselves up over like any property right now, just because of what the market's done, yeah. but you know, no it might've been the best thing at the time. Are, are you still, uh, are you still doing flips or are you mostly buy and hold now? Yeah, I'm I'm all buy and hold right now. I never say never, but um, you know, after doing so many flips over the years, I kind of live vicariously through my students. You know, they're doing flips, so it's it's fun to you know shadow them and help them out on their deals and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I've just really been focused on buying commercial multifamily. Yeah, I mean, you you can definitely make some some big money on the flips, but then. You know, it's kind of like being a real estate agent and not building out a team, right? Like if you, you know, you go out and you sell a home, you do big commission check. Great. Well, you spend time building out a sales team that 
can make money when you're not necessarily meeting with every single client, you know, that's a business, right? And I, I kind of look at flips the, 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 the same way, right? If, you, if you're out doing flips and making big hits, that's, that's great. But as soon as you stop doing flips, the, the money stops. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're only as good as your last check. That's for sure. Um, so how, how did you branch into, I've heard you mention students a couple times now. Uh, how did you mm -hmm. branch into, you know, re reaching back down or, or helping other people and, and, um, and how do you do that? Yeah, it was, it was totally organic. I was a part of a group, as I mentioned, where people had spent sometimes in excess of six figures on additional classes and courses and, um, but they still just, they couldn't figure out how to take it from concept to practicality. I had gotten to a point where I got a pretty good groove and how to, you know, acquisitions became my strong suit. Um, and then I started to put some infrastructure in place and whatnot to, to build out and scale on the flips. And so I really was just helping people who couldn't find deals. And that, that's how it started organically. Um, and then somebody came to me and was like, listen, you need to be on social media blah, 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 all the things I was against. I was really just always a guy that wanted to kind of do my thing in the background. And uh, obviously, guy had a different plan. And I got on social media and I looked up. And before I knew it, um, we had really grown something significant internationally in a very short period of time. And so, um, yeah, we've, we've now been mentoring uh, officially for four years. Wow. What... Um what 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 does that that mentorship look like like who's the ideal person for you you know and and what do you offer them yeah it's uh man you know i've i've helped such a wide range of people you know some people who've done 10 flips and then they come to me because they can't really figure out they have no system right and so what happens is when you do it, when you when you do a lot of random activity your results tend to be random as well, right? And so it's just really helping people to put together systems and processes to replicate success. Um, unlike HGTV, as you know, Dan, you know, that's not the business. You know, um, you want to streamline things as much as possible, run it as production as possible, take as much of the guesswork out for the contractors uh, who are the Achilles heel of our business. And so, you know, just helping people from uh, setting up their businesses, uh, you know, to all the legal documents that ne they need to hold people accountable throughout the process, uh, teach them how to raise capital, creates tax shelters for themselves, um, all the way down to identifying the right list agent and, and putting the right uh, checks and balances in place for them as well. Because, you know, anybody can put your property on the MLS, but does are they the most qualified to really sell that property in that specific market that you're in? So, you know, just really looking at everything holistically and teaching them how to be a well-rounded investor that understands everybody's role. Not that you're going to do everybody's job, but you certainly need to understand everybody's role because we as the investor get paid last. Everybody collects a check along the way. Right. And if they don't do their part correctly, you won't collect one in the end. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of the the all-encompassing of the program but then also um, we work with people off the street that have no real estate acumen all the way up to those that 
maybe a little more sophisticated that's looking to streamline things. Well, that's that's awesome that you're able to you know help help other people, um, you know, start on the path of, of and and hopefully you know get to where you are or even pass pass you. Uh, it seems like your one of your really superpowers is finding good deals, right? Um, mm-hmm. How how are you doing that right now, and how how do you scale that? Right, it's easy to kind of like maybe go look in one area, find deals, but it sounds like you're finding them all over. So how do you, how do you do it and how do you scale that process? Yeah, I think it, it's all about what's the goal and then reverse engineering that, right? I'm looking to buy another hundred doors this year. So ideally I don't want to buy anything under 20 doors. I want to make probably three purchases if possible. Um, so my fillers are out for for that specific deal type, right? Um, I think the more that you can simplify what the goals are, then you can simplify your approach to get there. I have, you know, I just got an 18 unit, so I kind of broke my own rule, but this deal is just, it's, it's like 350 on acquisition, 350 rehab, and once leased up, this thing is gonna be worth 1.3 on a seven and a half cap. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a home run deal. So I just locked it up Thursday, but somebody, as a matter of fact, the guy who started me in real estate in 2006, who recently moved to Florida two months ago, brought me this deal last Thursday before I left for sabbatical. So I'd say that to say, while you know I'm out looking for deals, LoopNet and otherwise, um, CoStar, I've got people who understand, my network understands what I'm looking for. So here's a relationship from 2006 that just brought me another deal that's got $600,000 worth of upside to it, not to mention, you know, an NOI of $100,000 a year. So it's about your network is literally your net worth. The more that you can surround yourself by people that's doing the things that you want to do, closed miles don't get fed. You got to be communicating with folks about what it is that you're looking for. And people will start sending you deals. I had a guy reach out to me via DM today and say, hey, I just got some multifamily in Detroit. What's your email? It's just a guy who follows me on social media that sees what I'm doing because I'm communicating that to my followers as to what I'm doing. I love it. I love that uh, that line in there. You said that closed closed mouths don't get fed, right? You you're seem it seems like you know you simply define the the, the kind of deal you want, define what what the goal is, like you said, the, define the goal, and mm-hmm. you let it be known. You know, friends network, social media, um, and the deals are coming to you. They just, they roll in, man. And for, for newbies, you know, they're so jaded in that, that they don't, a lot of time they don't believe that when I tell my students and I have to show them like, this is really happening in real time because don't get me wrong, Dan, as you know, like anything else, you got to build it up. When I first started flipping houses and I was doing, you know, 20, 30 deals a year, I was submitting 30 offers a week, you know, and so you got to have multiple agents and multiple markets. You got to have wholesalers in that local market. You may even be running some um, some off market uh, uh, marketing channels yourself, SMSs, uh, you know, maybe mailers. Maybe you you got bird dogs out there. You got to have any and everybody looking for what you need, including yourself. And you got to be scouring 
the MLS and, and everywhere else, um, you know, a couple hours a day, depending on what your appetite is. Yeah, I, I like to use the fishing analogy. You know, I, I go fishing uh, on a charter boat usually about once a month. And, you know, you're not fishing with one line. They've got like seven or eight lines out there trolling, you know, some. There you go. Some are to the left of the boat, some are the right, some are on the surface, some are down deeper. Like you, you got to have uh, a lot of as many lines out there as you can. And, and, uh, and one of them is going to hit eventually, usually. That's right. I like that. Well, this has been amazing. Uh, your story, I, I think, is is really inspirational, and um, hopefully, a lot of people will, will benefit and you know be insp be inspired and, and learn from the things we talked about today. Before we wrap up, um, and I'll give you a chance, by the way, at the end to, to share how people can uh, connect with you. But before we wrap up, I always like to do a hyper fast round. If you are ready for a few rapid fire questions here. All right. All right. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate investor? Get educated. What's a mistake that you often see experienced investors making? They don't know how to analyze comps. They, mm -hmm. they have the wrong ARB. That's a big one. Uh, if you had to start over and you couldn't take your money with you, your contacts, your reputation, any of that, all you could take is what you've learned uh, from doing this for a decade and a half or so now. Uh, what would the first thing uh, that, you, that you do be? Buy cash flow. Were you able to hear me, Dan? Oh, I think I think you cut out. If you want to try that one again. Oh, okay. Yeah. You you want to ask the question oh, again? I'm that sorry. way. Okay. You so get you, it. Yeah. You didn't. Uh, if you had to start over, um, from the beginning, you know, go back 15 years, and all you could bring with you is what you learned. You couldn't bring your um, money, reputation, any of that. You could just bring what you've learned. Uh, and you had to start over again, what would the first thing do? Uh, what, what would the first thing that you uh, do be? Uh, buy cash flow. Buy cash flow. All right. Um, when you're not working on real estate or teaching other people how to do it, uh, what would we most likely find you doing? Having a cigar. Having a cigar. Uh, you, you go up to the, the Corona Lounge there in Orlando? I do, man. I do. <laughs> All right. Uh, last question. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Um, so God gave me a gift to teach, right? And I don't know whether that's going to be real estate or otherwise, but I'll be somewhere pouring into people and teaching. All right. Well, um, that's amazing. I love that you're giving back and, and recognizing your, your, uh, gifts that, uh, you know, God has blessed you with and, and using them. So, um, you know, it's, it's always inspiring to hear that if people want to connect with you or learn about your mentorship or send you a deal or any of that kind of stuff, uh, what are the best ways for them to get in touch with you? Uh, Brian underscore Adamson one on Instagram and everything is there. They could, 
click a link, click the link in my bio, set up a call to chat with me. Um, but that, that'd be the best place to find me. And I just, I pour out tons of content. I think we posted every day for almost three years, just feeding the people on a multitude of levels. Um, so yeah, Brian underscore Adamson one would be the best place for them to check me out on Instagram. All right. So go follow Brian on Instagram. Thank you for being on the show today and to all of our listeners and viewers. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Please leave us feedback and share this with people that you think could benefit from hearing it. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and go to hyperfastagent.com to learn about upcoming in-person and online events. And don't forget to share this show with someone that you think could benefit from hearing it and make sure you subscribe on YouTube or anywhere that you can find podcasts.